This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Gosh, what a perfect fishing day. I know! Nothing but blue skies and hopefully a tasty fish dinner. Oh, I think I got one! Wait, never mind. Huh. I think I just jinxed us with that perfect day stuff. Ah, shut up. There'll be another any second. Oh my god. Look at the sky. What is that? Watch out. It's coming toward the water. Oh god, dear merciful lord, please protect us. Wait, look. It's going back up into the sky. What kind of fireball does that? I don't think that's a fireball. I think it's a flying saucer. Watch out! On June 13, 1966, all seemed tranquil on Atafona Beach in Brazil. Until local fishermen saw a luminous fireball-like object descend toward the water, then rise up again into the sky, where it exploded. The fishermen were convinced that it was a UFO. The explosion echoed through the nearby city of Campos dos Goi Takajis, home to Manuel Pereira de Cruz and Miguel José Viana, two electronic technicians who appeared to live an utterly typical life. Until two months later, on August 17, 1966, when they were found dead over 140 miles away on Vintame Hill in Niteroi, Brazil. At first, their death seemed unconnected to the Atafona Beach explosion. But that changed when several Niteroi citizens saw a UFO hovering over Vintame Hill on August 17th, one that looked a lot like the one at Atafona. This strange coincidence sparked an outlandish theory that law enforcement officials and UFO hunters have wondered about for over 50 years. Did Miguel and Manuel die after contacting beings from another world? This is Unsolved Murders, true crime stories on the Parcast Network. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our final episode on the otherworldly lead masks case. You can listen to previous episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. Some listeners have been asking how they can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. On August 17, 1966, electronic technicians Manuel Pereira de Cruz and Miguel José Viana took a long bus ride to the city of Niteroi, Brazil. They told loved ones in Campos that they were off to buy electronic equipment and a used car. 
But instead, their actions in Niteroi were strange and suspicious. First, they stopped at an electronics store without buying anything. And then they were seen buying raincoats and towels, and later picked up a bottle of water at a bar around 4.30 p.m. A witness saw them at the base of Veen Tame Hill between 5.30 and 6 p.m. in a jeep driven by a blonde man. And it's possible there were other men in the jeep, too. Three days later, on August 20th, Miguel and Manuel were found dead on the hill in formal suits and raincoats with the empty water bottle by their side. Police learned they had traveled with two to three million Brazilian cruzeiros between them. That's about a thousand U.S. dollars, and it was a lot of money for the time. But when they were found, they only had about 162,000 cruzeiros. There's no record of them buying anything but the towels, raincoats, and bottled water. Manuel and Miguel were lying on a bed of palm fronds, as if they'd set them up to take a nap. An odd thing to do on a night of bad weather on a rough hillside. They wore crude homemade masks made of lead that covered their eyes, and a notebook was also discovered near their bodies. Written inside was a set of strange instructions for the day they died. 4.30 p.m., be at the agreed location. 6.30 p.m., ingest capsules. After effect, protect metals, wait for mask signal. The bodies bore no signs of trauma, but that may have been hard to determine since they had already been decomposing for days. An autopsy was eventually performed, but the results were inconclusive. Manuel and Miguel's official cause of death was listed as heart failure from unknown causes. Police interviews in the days that followed revealed some suspicious circumstances around the two men's fateful trip. First, they told their friend Elcio Gomez that he couldn't come with them. It's nothing personal. It's just... Look, you'll understand when we get back. And they hinted to Miguel's niece about their trip's importance. You'll see. Everything will change once we're back. When a friend found them making the lead masks before the trip, their reasoning was even more enigmatic. We're going to use them to stop the end of the world. It was an unsettling mystery until the police further questioned Elcio Gomez, who revealed Manuel and Miguel's side hobby. I guess you'd call us scientific spiritualists. Spiritualists, or spiritists, as they're known in Brazil, believe our spirits are trapped in our earthly bodies and are only allowed to break free once we've reached enlightenment. Then they exist on a higher plane, free to exert influence on our world. The police found the tools used to make the lead masks in Miguel's home, along with literature that spoke of luminous spirits. Suddenly, the masks made sense. If Manuel and Miguel believed they were going to meet intensely bright beings, they would want to protect their eyesight. Though detectives never believed the deaths were supernatural, it did force them to look at the events of August 17th through a more mystical lens. Especially when a woman named Gracinda da Souza reported that on the evening of August 17th, she saw something strange near Vintame Hill, which sounded a lot like the object seen at Arafona Beach. It was a bright orange oval, surrounded by a ring of fire. It just hovered up, then down, then up, then down, and then it just disappeared. After that story appeared in newspapers on August 25th, 1966, several other locals came forward with the news that they too had seen this UFO. The undeniably mysterious case probably stirred up a sense of eerie familiarity to some members of the Niteroi police. Because four years earlier, Another dead man was found in the nearby hills. And that man was also wearing a strange lead mask. In 1962, Hermes Luis Feitoza was found dead on the nearby hill of Moro do Cruzeiro. The facts surrounding his death are even more of a mystery. There doesn't even seem to be a record of the exact date and time he was found. But... Just like Miguel and Manuel, Hermes was found with no visible injuries, signs of struggle, or evidence of poisoning. Beside his corpse was a crudely fashioned eye mask made of lead, just like the ones found by Manuel and Miguel. 
The connection between the two cases doesn't end there, because, as it turns out, Hermes was also a radio and television technician, just like Manuel and Miguel. In another chilling coincidence, Hermes was also a scientific spiritualist. Allegedly, he went up Moro do Cruzeiro to use his psychic abilities to pick up radio and TV signals using only his mind. So here we have another technician climbing a hill with a lead mask to engage in potentially paranormal activity. It was a strong enough connection for Hermes' case to be reopened, but the ensuing investigation led to no new clues in either case. Still, public interest in Manuel and Miguel's death had taken a supernatural turn, and local articles began citing alternative sources for clues about what the two men could have been doing. On August 31, 1966, the publication of Foyla de Sao Paulo ran an interview with Caius Miranda, a man known as a professor of yoga. Professor Miranda, it's clear that the answer to this mystery may have been linked to the supernatural. Do you have any inkling of what could have happened? Well, I'm certainly no policeman, but I've probed the stranger realms. My best guess is those two boys were conducting a sort of telepathic experiment. Can you explain further? Perhaps they were experimenting with high-frequency thought waves and died from it. Can you explain even further? <laughs> well, no one knows if they were poisoned. But if they were trying to conduct a psychic experiment, it's possible that they had a little help from some substances that... amplify brain frequencies, if you know what I mean. No. I'm gonna need you to spell it out, Professor. I'm saying they probably got high out of their minds on LSD or mescaline to help their telepathy and ended up killing themselves. But that's just a humble yogi's theory. And who really knows anything? Because the toxicology scan wasn't done in 1966, we don't know whether the yogi's theory about a drug overdose has any weight. However, if there's one way for someone to die without visible external injuries, an overdose would certainly be a good guess. Taking drugs to expand your consciousness is a common trend in many cultures, and according to Caius Miranda, Brazilian spiritualists often used psychedelics in their quest for otherworldly knowledge. It certainly lines up with the mysterious capsules that Manuel and Miguel were supposed to ingest on the day that they died. But unless they had access to an astronomical amount of LSD, it's unlikely they would have died from it. Death by psychedelic is rare, but it's possible that the drug's side effects like increased heart rate, disorientation, dehydration, or terrifying hallucinations could have led to their deaths. So maybe once Miguel and Manuel started their drug trip, they encountered a medical issue like a heart attack and weren't lucid enough to stop it. Miguel, Miguel, my heart's beating so, so fast. Miguel, where are you? I'm gonna die. I can't, I can't catch my breath. What? Calm down. Everything's fine. Just relax. The likelihood that both men would have died from side effects seems low, and we have no evidence that Manuel or Miguel were psychedelic drug users. This makes Caius's theory that Miguel and Manuel were trying to become telepathic seem rather unlikely. It's just one of many paranormal investigation paths that the Brazilian police were facing. But it's doubtful that pursuing them was especially fruitful. Instead, the police tried to get more out of someone close to the case. Manuel and Miguel's friend and fellow electronic technician, Elcio Gomes. Elcio was catnip for the clue-starved cops, because he seemed to be the only person who could give them a peek into Manuel and Miguel's private lives. Do you remember the Atafona Beach explosion back in June? I remember hearing about it, sure. Sounded like a tall tale from some bored fisherman, but I guess it's more original than seeing a giant squid. It's, it's no tall tale, officer. Fire lit up the sky, and you felt the explosion for miles around. Some people in Campos even said their window shattered. Okay. Well, you can't believe every rumor you hear. I saw it with my own eyes. I was there that day at Arafona Beach. Are you saying you're connected to this incident? Oh, no. You see, I was only there because Manuel and Miguel invited me. They were so insistent that I come. Do you mean... That they knew it was going to happen? 
Officer, I don't know how they could have predicted such an extraordinary event, unless they caused it. Do you really think they were capable of creating such an explosion? <laughs> well, Officer, they've done it before. We'll find out just how involved Manuel and Miguel were with the strange explosion after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. In 1966, during the immediate aftermath of the discovery of the bodies of Manuel Pereira de Cruz and Miguel José Viana, their close friend, Elcio Gomes, revealed more and more to the police about their scientific ambitions. I guess you should know about the incident in Manuel's garden first. That happened before the incident at Arafona, but I think they're linked. How so? Miguel and Manuel were into all sorts of strange stuff always tinkering. I heard they even had their own clandestine radio station. I don't recall exactly when, but sometime before the Arafona explosion, they invited me to come see a device they'd built in Manuel's garden. Manuel? Miguel? What is that thing? Elcio, come take a look. We spent a while building it. What does it do? Is it some sort of satellite? Think of it more as a welcome beacon. With this, we can finally reach them. Reach who? The beings on Mars. Guys, I don't know whether to be afraid or impressed. Both, if you're sane. Have you tested it? Is it safe? That's what we're about to find out. This could change everything, Elcio. We wanted you to be here. Here goes nothing. Or everything. Should have worked. According to Elcio, Miguel and Manuel were obsessed with contacting aliens or higher beings. Perhaps there wasn't a distinction between the two for them. They conducted several experiments using devices they had built, which led to an explosion in Manuel's backyard, a fact that Manuel's father later confirmed. Though the first experiment was a failure, the two scientific spiritualists were undaunted and went back to the drawing board. Police later learned that days before the explosion at Audafona Beach on June 13, 1966, Miguel confided in his sister that they were planning to try again. Miguel, what are you working on? You scared the neighbors half to death with that thing in Manuel's yard. Please don't tell me you're trying again. <laughs> okay, I won't tell you that I'm trying again. I'm serious. Why don't you focus on building some kind of fancy electric vehicle since you're always talking about needing a car? This is so much more important. Then explain it to me. I can't. It's an important mission, but it's a secret. I'm your sister. You can't tell me. I can't tell anyone, but soon you'll see. I promise. Days later, on June 13th, Miguel and Manuel invited a group of their friends, including Elcio Gomez, down to Arafona Beach. There, the group witnessed the mysterious ball of fire and explosion in the sky that local fishermen claimed was a UFO. There's no proof that Miguel and Manuel caused it, but since they invited friends to witness it, it seems like they knew this mystifying event was about to occur. Those strange stories were all that Elcio was able to provide. While Manuel's father and Miguel's sister both corroborated parts of his story, and we have to wonder how reliable Elcio was. Remember, he was apparently forbidden from joining the men on their August 17th trip to Niteroy. Manuel's wife, Nellie, had also reported that Manuel and Elcio had fought in the months leading up to the deaths. So maybe Elcio was bearing a grudge. 
Well, it's possible that Elcio exaggerated these experiments in order to paint Manuel and Miguel as madmen who were tampering with forces beyond their control. Or you could look at it another way and see Elcio's testimony as a means to glorify Manuel and Miguel. The idea that they were on the brink of contacting higher beings when they died is certainly more inspiring than the idea that they were robbed and left dead on a hillside. It is suspicious that Elcio just happened to be there for the backyard experiment, the Atafona explosion, and also saw them right before their bus trip to Niteroy. He was definitely Manuel and Miguel's friend, but it almost feels like he was trying to give himself more importance in the story of their deaths, an unfortunately common behavior by friends and relatives in many murder cases. In the end, Elcio's stories were vague and inconclusive. We don't know what kind of materials Manuel and Miguel had access to, and we don't know if the devices they built were actually technologically advanced. All Elcio's stories do is confirm the idea that Miguel and Manuel believed science could help them investigate the paranormal. However, there does seem to be support for Elcio's claim that Miguel and Manuel ran a secret radio station. On September 16, 1966, Brazil's O Cruzeiro newspaper reported that the Brazilian naval services had taken an interest in the lead masks case. New details emerged about a strange occurrence on the night of June 12th, just before the Atafona explosion on June 13th. That night, the Brazilian Navy's monitors picked up chatter between three ham radio stations, which are amateur radio signals made for non-commercial use. Two of the stations were named CK-22 and CKJ-22, and they were apparently communicating with a station called CKJ-21. At the time, most Brazilian amateur radio stations were required to register with local authorities. But these three stations did not appear on any of the government's registries, and the Navy couldn't decipher what they were discussing. It seems that two of the stations were in the same location, talking to a third station in a different location. Is it possible that the two grouped together were Miguel and Manuel's stations? If so, it would be very interesting to know where the third station was located or who was running it. Unfortunately, those specifics remain unknown or closely guarded by the Navy. But the mystery does feel like it's linked because Elcio mentioned a radio station and the mysterious radio chatter occurred the night before the Autophona explosion. However, we don't know if Manuel and Miguel really ran a clandestine radio system, and we don't know if they caused the Autophona incident. All we really know is that the Navy observed some strange radio activity. Still, that report was the year's last major development in the case of the lead masks. And by the end of September 1966, the police's trail had run cold, and the press had moved on to other stories. The lead masks investigation appeared to have sputtered to a stop. But over a year later, new information renewed the public interest in the case. On August 19, 1967, Rio de Janeiro paper Ultima Hora reported that police had the registration number of the car that took Manuel and Miguel to the base of Vintame Hill. Here's where things get confusing. We know a witness named Ralino de Matos saw a blonde man in a jeep drive Manuel and Miguel to the base of the hill. But the Ultima Hora story seemed to frame the story in a new way. Instead of being dropped off, the paper claimed that Manuel and Miguel were already dead and that the killers had driven the bodies to the hill to dump them there. The paper also claimed that the police had a solid theory about the cause of death. Actually, it was more like three theories. The first was that they had been killed by the men in the jeep. The second was that they had died by an overdose from chemicals or drugs that they had taken to facilitate contact with extraterrestrial beings. That was a theory that had already been floated in the initial 1966 investigation. And the third was that Miguel and Manuel had intentionally poisoned themselves with corrosive acid in a suicide pact. The first two theories seem plausible enough, but the suicide pact theory is the one that fell off. Now, Manuel and Miguel were relatively successful technicians with families, friends, and plans to open a business together. You can never quite tell what's really going on in a person's mind, but from the outside, it doesn't appear that they were at all suicidal. Well, on the whole, suicide doesn't make much sense. 
unless what looked like a suicide was actually a way for Manuel and Miguel to ascend to a higher plane. The idea of breaking free from your earthly form to ascend to a higher plane was a part of the spiritualism that Miguel and Manuel studied. Well, maybe when they told friends that their trip would change everything, they really believed they were going to leave their earthly bodies and ascend to an enlightened state. Miguel, I don't know about this. To everyone else, it's going to look like we... Manuel, don't think of it like that. We're just taking the next step. Don't you want to have that power? Power to change your family's lives for good? I suppose you're right. So it could have both been and not been a suicide if you see it from Miguel and Manuel's spiritualist perspective. Given the lack of evidence, the suicide theory feels like a bit of a stretch. Even so, the article released on the 19th re-energized the investigation. Around August 26, 1967, Manuel and Miguel's bodies were allegedly exhumed and examined. Police delegate Sergio Rodriguez released a statement that seemed to indicate they were on to something. Important pieces of evidence were disregarded at the start of the inquiry and are now being used by my team. Although I have not yet gotten the clues to clear up the case, I do believe that in a few days' time, I will be able to hand the guilty party over to the judicial authority. It was a major statement that promised a resolution to the case, and yet the public never heard a thing about what the police had found from the exhumed bodies. If something in the new autopsy helped confirm or deny any part of the numerous theories surrounding the deaths of Miguel and Manuel, we don't know it. And so, after a brief flurry of excitement, news about Miguel, Manuel, and their strange lead masks case died down again, but only temporarily. On June 28, 1968, the O Globo newspaper printed an article with the headline, After the Atomic Test. Well, the article reported that the Brazilian police had gone to the Atomic Institute in Sao Paulo to have Manuel and Miguel's hair tested for toxic substances. The police certainly made a big show of their visit to the Atomic Institute. They called it an exceptional measure. Doctor, what's the report? It's been hours. I know, but I think these results are just going to frustrate you further, officer. What does that mean? I'm sorry to say, these hair samples have tested negative for arsenic, mercury, barium, and thallium. Are you sure? Maybe you should run the test again. Officer, those elements register at 0.0001% in the hair samples. So you're saying there are small amounts of these poisons in their bodies? Yes, the same way we all have tiny trace amounts of elements in our bodies thanks to arsenic in our pesticides or mercury in our fish. Look, it's virtually impossible that these men ingested a lethal dose of poison before they died. Maybe modern testing methods might have revealed a different result, but we have to assume that those scientists were confident in their results. Which means the police could finally rule out poisoning as a cause of death. It's interesting that the report only mentions those four poisons. We don't know if the Institute tested the samples for drugs like LSD or mescaline, which could have led to circumstances that killed Manuel and Miguel. Well, remember, the Atomic Institute was only working off of hair samples, presumably because the rest of the bodies were too decomposed after two years. Perhaps if scans had been performed sooner, they might have found traces of other poisons or drugs in Manuel and Miguel's systems. But the Institute's results satisfied the police, who officially closed the book on the idea that Manuel and Miguel were poisoned. By 1968, the lead masks case was still an enigma. And while UFO enthusiasts still indulged in speculation that the deaths were the result of paranormal experiments, the police's more rational investigations had reached a dead end. But that changed in 1969. Three years after the deaths, a Brazilian criminal kingpin came forward with shocking news. He knew exactly what happened to Manuel and Miguel, and he was finally ready to talk. In February 1969, the Brazilian press was buzzing with reports that the mystery of the lead masks case had finally been solved. And the story behind the deaths wasn't about electronic experiments or alien beings. Instead, it centered on a man named Hamilton Bazzani, who was serving a prison sentence of 50 years. Bazzani was a smuggler and car thief who was notorious in Sao Paulo. And Brazilian police learned about Bazzani's news from a female relative of his. Look, 
You can't choose your family. I live in Rio, but I was visiting Hamilton in prison in Sao Paulo. He told me he was connected to the murders of those two men. The ones with the lead masks. You sure of this? Visit him and ask him yourself. Seems like Hamilton is dying to talk about it. The Brazilian police visited Hamilton Bezani in prison, where the criminal told them an elaborate story about his involvement in the lead masks case. Mr. Bezani. Please, gentlemen. I'm on a first-name basis with most cops in Sao Paulo, so you can call me Hamilton. I assume you're here about the dead boys with the funny lead masks, yes? We are, and we need to know what your connection is to their death. This was back in 66. I was in Rio, hiding out from the Sao Paulo authorities. I was approached by, well, I suppose you'd call them fellow criminals. Who were they, and what did they want? I only knew them by their nicknames, Espanol, Wilson Alemão, and Acasio. This troublesome trio wanted me to do a job for them in Niederoy, and they promised me a tempting reward if I cooperated. And you agree to this? A leopard can't change his spots. I was on the lam, and money was needed. That's how I ended up crossing paths with Miguel and Manuel. Bezani claimed he met up with the three other criminals, who took him to a spiritualist center in Niederoy. There, they met the center's manager, a woman named Helena. Manuel and Miguel were at the center, too. This was apparently on August 17th, the day they died. It's also a huge departure from what the police thought they knew about Miguel and Manuel's last day. In 1966, the police's investigation placed them at an electronics store called Fluoscope, sometime after 2.30 p.m. After that, they bought towels and raincoats and stopped at the Bar das Relvas around 4.30 p.m. to buy their water bottle. They were then seen at the base of Vintame Hill around 5.30 p.m. The mysterious instructions in their notebook said to be at the agreed location at 4.30 p.m. And based on the timeline, that would seem to have been at the bar. However, what if that location was actually the spiritualist center? That could explain why Miguel and Manuel looked anxious at the bar. Maybe they were running late for a meeting at the center. The two men were spiritualists, so it's not unusual to think that they might have gone there. But the police's timeline only gives them a one-hour window that they could have been at the center. But according to Hamilton Bezani, one hour was enough. This is where Espanol, Wilson Alamau, and Acasio pointed out Miguel and Manuel to him. Bezani, you see those two guys over there with the dopey, hopeful looks in their eyes? They're the targets, and their briefcase is full of cash. The spirit of fortune has descended on us, my friend. From this story, it seems that Hamilton Bezani's criminal acquaintances somehow knew that Miguel and Manuel were carrying a lot of cash. It's interesting to note that the criminals saw them carrying a briefcase since one wasn't found by the two men's corpses. But maybe that just proves it was taken. It doesn't quite connect, but then again, it seems like Hamilton Bezani wasn't in on the specifics of the crime. Instead, he was hired as a getaway driver. All I was told to do was wait outside in the car they provided. Helena and her entourage brought out Manuel and Miguel. I remember thinking, they look so young. I almost felt bad. All right, so how did they kill them? It was poison, wasn't it? Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? Gentlemen, I said I drove them to the hill. I didn't climb it. Helena and her men made Miguel and Manuel get out of the car, and then they started their trek up the hillside. I sat in the car and twiddled my thumbs. How long did you wait? Not too long. Soon, Helena and her men returned alone, but with the briefcase those two men had. It was packed with cash. Almost three million cruceros. The whole bunch seemed nervous, twitchy with guilt, and given that they were armed, I wasn't in a curious mood. Hamilton Bezani's story reduces Miguel and Manuel's deaths to a simple matter of robbery and murder. Well, it makes some sense. The police always wondered if the two men were robbed. Although it appears Hamilton never confirmed what kind of car he was driving, 
It's easy to imagine that he and his criminal cohorts were the men in the Jeep that Raulino de Matos saw driving Manuel and Miguel to Vintame Hill on August 17th. But there are a few discrepancies that make his tale a little tough to believe. Hamilton's testimony makes it seem like Miguel and Manuel were already being targeted despite only arriving in Niederoy that day. Maybe they'd already been in contact with Helena at the Spiritualist Center. Perhaps she had time to warn her gang that their next target was visiting town. That's possible. Hamilton's assertion that the gang made Manuel and Miguel swallow poison at gunpoint before they robbed them also makes sense. But what about the notebook found by their bodies and the lead masks on their faces? The notebook had clear instructions about meeting at an assigned spot and swallowing capsules, and the lead masks seemed to tie into Miguel and Manuel's spiritualist beliefs. Could all of this have been an elaborate hoax? Perhaps Helena promised a spiritual journey for the two men, one that came at a cost. The idea that Helena's gang poisoned them makes sense, but remember, the Atomic Institute's tests showed that Manuel and Miguel weren't poisoned. At least not by major, commonly used poisons. In one sense, Hamilton Bezani's confession shines a reasonable light on the deaths. They were tricked, robbed, and poisoned by a band of criminals. Bezani was already serving a 50-year prison sentence, so maybe he was feeling honest, and he didn't have much to lose. Well, but I could also see him wanting to lie. Maybe he thought he could drum up some notoriety by admitting his involvement in an unsolved mystery. Or maybe... He thought helping the police might reduce his sentence. Either way, apart from his own words, there's very little proof of his involvement. Bezani's confessions are also the final word we have on the lead masks case. It's unknown whether any other arrests were made, and it seems like the case disappeared into the history books after this seemingly exciting development. What's interesting to note is that, according to UFO enthusiasts, 1969 was the year that the Brazilian government began to crack down on public theories about alien activity in Brazil. Conspiracy theorists have suspected that Bezani's confession was a hoax designed to put an end to speculation. If that's true, that means the Brazilian government was eager to close the books on this mysterious unsolved murder. And maybe that's because they knew the public couldn't handle the true story behind Miguel and Manuel's death. We'll explore that possibility after this. Now back to the story. After considering both criminal and paranormal explanations for the lead mask deaths, we should point out that there may be a scientific explanation for some of the mysterious events of August 17, 1966. Miguel and Manuel could have been killed by globular lightning, or ball lightning as it's more commonly known. We're familiar with lightning that appears as a bolt of electricity from the skies, but almost 5% of people have witnessed it in ball form. Huh. These balls can appear before, during, or after a storm, and they most often appear as a bright sphere that's around the size of the head of a child. It's pretty small, but because of their brightness, these lightning balls can be seen from great distances. Typical ball lightning lasts only a second or so, But the bigger the ball, the longer it lasts. Ball lightning that's more orange in color also tends to last longer. It hovers above the surface, erratically rising, falling, or shifting courses before extinguishing itself, either with a quiet fizzle or a loud explosion. It's a rare but recorded scientific phenomenon that has been witnessed by historical figures like Nicholas II, the last czar of Russia. British occultist Aleister Crowley also witnessed globular lightning indoors in 1916. While a storm raged outside his cabin, he saw a bright ball of light appear indoors near his body, then explode with a loud noise. Scientists are still studying this curious form of lightning. And 50 years ago, around the time of Miguel and Manuel's death, much less was known about it. And yet, it feels quite possible that the strange object that onlookers witnessed floating above Vintame Hill on August 17th could have been ball lightning. 
Gracinda da Souza told the Niteroi police that she saw a fiery orange oval-shaped UFO hovering over Vintame Hill on the night of August 17th, which, if you'll recall, was a stormy night of bad weather. We know that ball lightning can move in unpredictable ways, which sounds a lot like Gracinda's description of a UFO that seemed to float up and down. Lightning is so bright that even a small ball would have lit up the sky. Maybe she thought she saw something larger and confused it for a flying spacecraft. So we have a natural phenomenon that could have been mistaken for a UFO, especially in a culture that was curious about the supernatural. Some have gone so far as to theorize that the metal in Miguel and Manuel's lead masks attracted the lightning, which struck and killed them. This seems unlikely, as 90% of people who are struck by lightning survive with only heart problems or lightning burns. So the chance lightning killed both Manuel and Miguel is extremely low. Well, maybe the lightning strike injured them, but the fact that they were in a storm on a hillside and possibly under the effects of a hallucinogen meant that they couldn't get the help they needed soon enough. Well, that's true. Maybe their decomposing state meant that the coroner missed the sign of a lightning strike on their bodies. But there was no evidence of a lightning strike on the ground or around their bodies. The palm fronds that they were found upon appeared to be intact. So a deadly strike feels unlikely. All this theory really helps explain is the otherworldly object seen at the time of Miguel and Manuel's death. We've covered several theories about the mysterious events of August 17, 1966. And now it's time to figure out what really happened. Maybe the truth contains a little of each theory. Miguel and Manuel were two devout scientific spiritualists who held a long-time hope of meeting luminous higher beings. Their initial experiments in their backyard and labs were unsuccessful, but then they came into contact with Helena at the Spiritualist Center in Niteroi. I can help you find the answers you seek, but it will come at a cost. Miguel and Manuel planned a trip, and though it was a secret mission, They couldn't contain their excitement from their family and friends. You'll see. Everything will change once we're back. Armed with instructions carefully written down in a notebook, they trekked to Niteroi with three million hard-earned cruzeros, the price of enlightenment. After purchasing the raincoats they'd need for the storm and the water they'd need to consume the psychedelics that were commonly used by spiritualists, they visited Helena at the Spiritualist Center. They gave her the cash, and she provided them with the psychedelics and transportation to the hill via Jeep. My friend, are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. Once they climbed the hill around 6 p.m., Miguel and Manuel swallowed their capsules, donned their lead masks, and eagerly awaited their mystical fate. The weather conditions created the perfect storm, which produced a ball of globular lightning that attracted the attention of many citizens of Niteroi, including Gracinda de Souza. Oh my lord. Children, look at the sky! Miguel and Manuel's vision may have been obscured by their masks, but they surely must have sensed the bright allure of the low-hanging ball of lightning. Maybe the seeming presence of spiritual beings sent them into a drug-fueled frenzy, triggering heart attacks or some other side effect that killed them. The two men died on the hill, but before that, they were rewarded with the knowledge that their trip to Niteroi would truly change their lives. Manuel! Manuel! I think they're finally here. It worked. Manuel? Manuel? Are you still with me? Of course, there is one more possibility. Perhaps the two spiritualists were on to something. And what looked like a mysterious death was actually the beginning of a new life. Spiritualism is dedicated to the concept of enlightenment through self-improvement and is often practiced by educated middle-class followers. As city-dwelling electronic technicians with a curiosity for knowledge, Miguel and Manuel were practically the poster boys for self-improvement. Manuel, there's got to be something more out there for us. Something better than repairing TVs and toasters, you know? What do you think we should do? 
We should use the skills we already have so we can skip the wait and make these higher beings notice us. Build our way to a higher plane to prove we're ready. Using the skills they'd learned repairing devices, they tinkered around until they built a device they thought could help them contact higher beings. But as both Elcio and Manuel's father corroborated, the first test was a failure. Maybe we were too arrogant, thinking we could do this on our own, Miguel. Or maybe we're just not doing it the right way. Maybe instead of inventing some new device, we need something we already know how to use. Like what? Well, Manuel, I've always thought you had a voice for radio. The men tried their hand at reaching out through unregistered radio stations, until finally, on the night of June 12, 1966, they got an answer. One that the Brazilian Navy apparently noticed, too. Hello? Can you clear up your signal? Is anyone out there? Oh my god, that's, that was something. Who's there? Hello? If you can understand us, meet us tomorrow at Atafona Beach. The sky will be clear, the light will be good, and we will be ready for you. We have to tell Elcio. He's gonna lose his mind. The men waited at Atafona Beach, where they were finally rewarded with the sight of a luminous, hovering fireball. Maybe it scared everyone else. Oh God, dear merciful Lord, please protect us. But to Manuel and Miguel, it was proof they were on the right track. Manuel, that was a sign. I think they're ready to meet us. Oh, by the way, if they're going to be that bright, we're gonna need something to protect our eyes. Like what, sunglasses? Sure, but thicker. I don't know, we'll build something. Okay, but when and where are we meeting them? How do we prepare? I've heard of this woman, Helena. She runs the spiritualist center in Niederoy. And so, they contacted Helena. If this is true, you're truly on the verge of a breakthrough. We agree, but we need help. Well, there are certain tools that some of our more adventurous seekers take to help them probe the higher realms. I can help you find the answers you seek, but it will come at a cost. We were saving up for a car, but this will be a better ride. Let me know when you're in town, and I'll give you what you need. Miguel and Manuel made their trip to Niederoy on August 17th, 1966. They stopped at the electronics store Fluoscope first. Maybe they wanted to get in one last bit of window shopping before abandoning their earthly material needs. Then, after buying towels, raincoats, and a water bottle for a rainy winter hike, they headed to the Spiritualist Center to meet Helena. These capsules are tiny but powerful. They're quick dissolving, so you'll need to take them right as the sun sets, around 6.30 p.m. Hang on, I'm just writing all this down. (laughs) Don't make the instructions in that notebook too obvious. You wouldn't want anyone reading it to discover our methods, would you? Oh, trust me. No one will ever understand Manuel's weird shorthand anyway. Good. Lots of nosy people out there. Now, as for the matter of payment... Not until we're on the hill. Fair enough. Gentlemen, my car awaits. Helena and her assistants drove Manuel and Miguel to Tame Hill and made the climb with them. Here goes nothing. Here, take the money. You sure you don't need anything else? No, we've got each other, and these capsules, and our faith. Thank you for everything, Helena. You should go. I think a storm is coming. I don't know if this is goodbye or not. But if it is, it was a pleasure guiding you along the path, boys. Maybe one day I'll join you. Well, what does it taste like? The next step, my brother. Cheers. And as the drugs kicked in and the storm intensified, Miguel and Manuel felt no pain. They laid back on their palm fronds. And as the lightning started, they slipped on their homemade lead masks. Miguel, I can't see a thing in these. (laughs) This is so crazy. Are we crazy? (laughs) Everything's crazy. Just enjoy the ride. Wait, what was that? Was that lightning? Why is it suddenly so hot? 
Hello, Manuel. Hello, Miguel. Is that... Is that you? Are you disappointed? Oh, no! No! We've been dying to meet you! It's time for us to go now. Come, if you'd like. I want to. More than anything. But my body feels so tired. So leave it behind. You won't need it where we're going. Manuel, are you ready? Here goes nothing. The lead mask case has captivated the minds of UFO enthusiasts and mystery solvers across the globe, but a definitive answer has never been found. Miguel Viana and Manuel da Cruz may have been the victims of their own ambitions, the targets of a cruel robbery. Or maybe they were just in the right time and place to be struck by a ball of globular lightning. I think the two men were the unfortunate victims of a scam. Helena and the Niederoi spiritualists promised the two men enlightenment at a cost. Feeding on their desire for answers, they gave them psychedelics that were supposed to expand their minds, but really were laced with poison. I agree. Although the test in 1968 revealed no traces of poison, it seems unlikely that after two years the results would have been entirely accurate. Hamilton Bezani's confession also suggests that foul play was involved. But perhaps we'll never know. The only other possibility is that they actually met the spiritual beings they searched for and were finally freed from their earthly bodies. Their version of spiritualism claimed that once that happened, spirits were free to watch over the world and exert their influence. So maybe Miguel and Manuel's spirits really are out there watching over us. If they are, hopefully they're amazed or just amused by the years of speculation that have gone into investigating the case of the lead masks. You can find Unsolved Murders and all of ParCast's podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, and your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Amin Osman. The amazing cast of voice actors include Mike Posey, Jerry Courtney Austin, Kimberly Holland, Steve Pinto, Harris Markson, Sammy Nye, Dan Velasquez, Tiana Camacho, Julian Smith, Joe Hernandez, and Drew Lawn. Unsolved Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Carter Roy